Welcome to the Rock Hill Dream Center Church, where we have a vision to see communities transformed by the gospel as we love, serve, share, and send. Thank you for joining us. Amen. And we're going to start right off. Um, Malachi 4 is a very short book. So I'm going to read through it. We're going to touch a little bit of commentary on it, and then we're going to transition. But in, in verse 1, um, chapter 4, verse 1, it said, The Lord of heaven's army says the day of judgment is coming, burning like a furnace. On the day of, uh, of the arrogant and wicked will be burned up like straw. They will be consumed, roots, branches, and all. But for you who fear my name, the son, that's S-U-N, not S-O-N, that's the son of righteousness, because the Old Testament especially would use sometimes in, in drawing a picture of God, the sun, the rising sun, the light. The son of righteousness will rise with healing in his wings and you will go free, leaping with joy like calves let out to pasture. On the day when I act, you will tread upon the wicked as if they were dust under your feet, says the Lord of heaven's armies. Remember to obey the law of Moses, my servant, all the decrees and regulations that I gave him on Mount Sinai for all Israel. Look, I am sending you the prophet Elijah before the great and dreadful day of the Lord arrives. His preaching will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers. Otherwise, I will come and strike the land with a curse. So... Just a couple little points here, and, and, and just I'm going to say this again. I have it written in my notes, but I want to say it now because we also need to understand. This is the last um, prophecy. This is the last statement given in the Old Testament, and there is a 400-year silence. How crazy, right? And you get, you're getting all these major prophecies, minor prophecies, there's people talking, and all of a sudden Malachi comes and he lays down these four chapters, and, 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 and this is the last words before there is silence before the coming of Jesus Christ. About 420 years, they think, before Jesus' ministry. So just remember that. We'll talk about that again. But, but in, in a couple of things that it was touching here, burning like an oven, God promised to a fire for his people in Malachi 2, 2, and 3. And here he promised a fire for the wicked. But there's a big difference between the refining fire applied to God's people and a fire for the ungodly. You know, we talked about the, the refining fire last week as Jesus sat and he, he patiently scrapes off the, the dross and all the, 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 the impurities of our lives as the fire just purifies us. But now they're talking about the fire for the wicked. That there is a hell. And that people who reject God, reject Jesus, will experience that. It says, I will send you Elijah the prophet. In this unique promise, God assured his people that he would send Elijah to Israel again before the great and dreadful day of the Lord. The great and dreadful day of the Lord. The second coming of Jesus. Jesus is coming back. And Elijah, or someone working as Elijah, like John the Baptist did, will come and speak again. So this was fulfilled in John the Baptist's figurative sense. Matthew 11, Mark 9, Luke 1. Yet because it's Elijah comes before the coming of the great and dreadful day, we know that Elijah's prophecy is only completely fulfilled before the second coming of Jesus. So, a couple of things that we've learned through Malachi 
is that God's people have a hard time acknowledging their own sin and are constantly wanting something from God. And I was thinking about that as I jotted that down, is that we can learn anything through this book, is that God's people have a hard time acknowledging God, acknowledging their sin. I, I don't have a hard time acknowledging who God is. Um, I don't have a hard time even acknowledging my sin. What I do have a hard time of is acknowledging that my God is not pleasantly wanting me to live in my sin. That's where I think the, my mind and my heart gets messed up. I think that's where humanity, I think that's where these people, they didn't want to relate their sin to God. They said, okay, we can do this, but God, did we really? And I think that sometimes we have to understand that that Jesus, like we said last week, didn't come to save us in our sin, but to save us from our sin. So we also know that there's that 400 years of the last prophecy to the coming of Jesus Christ. And today's lesson affirms that we as a people are slow learners. Because the people of Israel are still missing it. And I would even be bold enough to maybe say here the church of the 21st century sometimes can still miss it as well. And that's not a, a salvation comment, that, but I believe that we do miss out on the fullness of God sometimes because we spend our lives wanting to know what Jesus has for us. So let's talk about Palm Sunday. What was happening on Palm Sunday some 400 years later and I'm going to draw this picture out, and I don't want to, to get in front of everything. Let me just read it to you. In John chapter 12, if you want to turn to it in your Bibles, John chapter 12, again, very short, seven verses, 12 through 19, seven or eight verses. I'm going to read to you in John, starting John chapter 12, verse 12. It says, The next day the news that Jesus was on the way to Jerusalem swept through the city. A large crowd of Passover visitors took palm branches and went down to the road to meet him. They shouted, Praise God! Blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hail to the King of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and rode on it, fulfilling the prophecy that said, Don't be afraid, people of Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming, riding on a donkey's colt. His disciples didn't understand at that time, at the time that this was a fulfillment of prophecy. But after Jesus entered into his glory, they remembered what had happened and realized that these things had been written about him. Many in the crowd had seen Jesus call Lazarus from the tomb, raising him from the dead, and they were telling others about it. That was the reason so many went out to meet him, because they had heard about this miraculous sign. Then, then the Pharisees said to each other, there's nothing we can do. Look, everyone has gone after him. So let's draw this picture up and kind of get our best imagination going on what was happening here. Because I know I grew up in a church where it was always this really beautiful scene. And y'all, is anybody familiar with just growing up in church and all of a sudden the kids come dancing around the church with the palms in their hands and everything? And that's beautiful. I'm not taking a shot at that. But there was so much more to Palm Sunday than just these palms being laid in this road. Um, first of all, I want to I set this scene up. And when I was telling Barbara about this, she said, Ugh. There were over 250,000 lambs in this area. Why? 
Why was there over 250,000 lambs in this area? Anybody? They fixing to have some sacrifices. A quarter of a million, actually my study said 254,000. I don't know how they got the 4,000, 2,000 years later, but I, over a quarter of a million lambs in this tiny area on the sides of the roads being shepherded and being herded everywhere, the sounds, the smells, the things that were going to happen, 250,000 sacrifices as a celebration of the Passover. And here comes Jesus. You know, Jesus had just raised Lazarus from the dead. He'd been doing miracles, and all of a sudden, he put a big old explanation point up and said, Lazarus, come out of that tomb. He walks up out of the tomb. He's supposed to be smelly. We talked about that about a month and a half ago. All of a sudden, he'd been dead over three days because they knew by the, by the Jewish traditions that if a person had been dead for over three days, the spirit had left them. He waited purposely that he would be in that tomb for over three days, caught him out of it, and said, here's Lazarus. That will draw a crowd. I'm just saying. But the Jews, the Israelites, knew and without any doubt, man, they were just, woo, they had a king. And not only did they have a king, they had a king that could bring people back to life. There ain't no way that the Roman Empire is going to be able to keep us under their thumb any longer. There ain't no way this world's not going to let us be who we're supposed to be. We are to be the most powerful people in the world. Oh, Lord, here comes our king. And he comes up through there on a donkey's colt. A donkey's colt. An animal that is not broken that you should not be able to get on the back of. And if any king is coming into the presence of his people, he is going to be riding a white stallion. And Jesus says, <laughs> y'all ain't even going to get this, but I'm going to jump on the back of this colt of this donkey and ride up through here. And the people in the midst of all of this are laying these palms out on this road. And Jesus is walking up through there, and there's all these sheep, and there's all these people, and they're, and they're praising. Oh, praise God, praise the Lord, here comes our king, here he comes. You ever been really excited about something just to find out later on that you missed it? <laughs> Richard tells me that, but once a week, Richard's like, well, Paul, we know that it's probably not going to look like what we thought. You know, we'll be so excited, and all of a sudden, I didn't see that coming. People are laying these palms out, praising God for their new king. Man, Jesus had been doing miracles. He'd raised ladders from the dead. And the people cheering knew that this was the king that could deliver them from all the persecution that they had faced for so many years. But, but let's be real. Again, I believe some of you in here can relate to this. How quickly can cheers turn to persecution and stabs of death? See, that's what was going to happen. That's what's going to happen to Jesus. If we were in this time right now and we were talking about it, Jesus is going up here and palms are being laid out. But just in, in five short days, these people that are cheering for him are going to be saying, persecute, kill him, sacrifice him, crucify him, kill him. 
because they didn't get what they wanted. How we can so quickly change who we are. God's plan for deliverance looked entirely different than what this crowd's plan looked like. God said, I'm more worried about your soul than the next 50, 60 years of your life. I'm more worried about where you'll spend eternity than whether you're going to have to walk around with sores or illnesses or pain because of this broken world. See, we can also be like this crowd and miss the reason for Jesus coming into our lives. See if any of these three statements might relate to you because they relate to me. Jesus, free me. And what do we mean by that? Sometimes we're not asking Jesus to, to free us because we want to experience more of him. We're just asking him to free us because we don't want to go and do that sin that we've done over and over and over again. We're more, fo more, more focused on the sin that we continue to, to do than we are on the one who come to save us from the sin. And that leads to this long life of continuing to pray the same prayer. Jesus freed me. And he said, I freed you 30 years ago. You just don't want to look at me. You just want to make your sin an idol. I don't know if y'all can relate to that one, but I can. And then here's another one. Jesus, heal me. And he says, Paul, I did. When you wept and you cried and you said, Jesus, come into my heart. I can't do this life. I'm not worthy. I need you. I need a Savior. I healed you. There's no cancer that's going to be able to mess with your soul. There is no disease that's going to be able to mess with you. There is no neurological thing that's going to be able to mess with you. The time on this earth you will continue to face these struggles because this is a broken place. But when you spend the next million and million and million of years with my father, you're going to understand the healing that you got when you asked me into your heart. You don't have to continue to cry out, Jesus, heal me. I healed you. It's okay if we talk to him, and it's wonderful to talk to him in the middle of that. But we have to stand and understand that the moment that Jesus came into our lives, the moment that the old man, Paul, died, and the new man was born again in Christ, I was healed of all past, present, and future diseases and struggles and lackings. Here's the last one. Jesus, give me a better life. And as I wrote that out, Jesus' word says, I didn't promise you a better life on this earth. In all actuality, Paul... I said by you taking upon this cross that you would die to yourself every day, that you would have to be less and to try to let others be more. So why are you trying to make yourself comfortable every day by being my follower, Paul? But these are the things that I believe I can miss sometimes while my Savior Jesus is in front of me and I'm seeing this King Jesus, I want this King Jesus, I want this, this fleshly Jesus that can come and take away all of my enemies and give me all of my prosperity and give me all of these things. And I'm saying, oh, praise God, because we have a King that has delivered me from all of my poor, broken self. And he said, I've given you so much more, you just don't understand. You missed it. You can't see it. See, what we find out next is that Jesus came to earth to die. 
and that through his death we will ultimately get much more than our earthly needs met. Amen. Isn't that good news? Isn't that good news? Is that sometimes as, as Christians that are discipling other believers and new believers, we need to stop sugarcoating the gospel. Well, if you just follow him, he's going to make all your problems go away. And when we start to say, now if you're going to follow him, you're going to die to yourself every day to live for him. That whosoever loses their life will gain their life. And that Jesus had one purpose for coming to this earth in the flesh, and that was to go to the cross. And it was because of his love that he climbed up on that cross. No man could put him on that cross. He was all authority. He created the heavens and the earth. And because of the love that he had for you, my new Christian brother or sister, he climbed on a cross. And you know what that means for us? Is that when we see a lost and broken world, we should be willing to die for them. Because the Spirit of the Lord lives inside of us. And we've gotten so distracted with looking at all of our own problems, all of our own trials, all of our own things that we don't have, that we end up praying the rest of our life, for God just make me more comfortable in my persecution. And God said, that's probably not going to happen until Jesus comes back in all of the glory. And when he comes back, then we're going to celebrate. Then there's going to be a big table and a big feast. Then we're going to be able to just stand around and sing and watch the angels circle the throne. Holy, holy, holy. Every tribe, every nation, every tongue. See, there'll be no more tears. There'll be no more pain. And it's all because of Jesus. Y'all, can y'all, is this just preaching to me? I, I, I want to know if anybody's understanding it, because sometimes I, I do have the history of not being a greatest of communicators. I get so excited, I go, pew, 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 pew. but I, I just want you to understand, because I think the Spirit, we got to ask the Spirit of the, of the Lord, the Holy Spirit, to open our eyes and our hearts up to know that as Christians, as Christians, that our lives are deeper and more fruitful and more fulfilling than praying a prayer of trying to stay out of trouble every day. It's got to be to say, God, use me. I don't understand. I'm scared. I'm going to tell you what. My feet got pruned yesterday under that tent, and I didn't want to be out there. Stephen's the one that said, Paul, you coming out. I'm the pastor. I'm the leader. This is the ministry the Dream Center started. I'm like, can I stay in the house while you do it? And I'm like, I'm in there wrestling with myself. Ain't nobody coming out in all this rain and wind. God, I can just stay in here with my wife. This is comfortable in here. God said, I told you, get outside, boy. Put a tent up. I've given you three of them. You got them caged up in a building back there. Lo and behold, put a tent up. Next thing you know, people's praying. We laughing. You forget about your pruned feet when you start entering into the presence of the Lord. You forget about your, your health issues when you start entering into the presence of the Lord. You, you forget about the size of your checkbook and your banking account when you enter into the presence of the Lord. It is funny how when we enter into the presence of the Lord that everything that is on this earth that is of the world, we tend to lose sight of. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. The problem is we just got to be more consistent on entering into the presence of the Lord. Because <laughs> there's a battle that goes on every day that wants to keep me focused 
on the haves and the have-nots. So what can we do? This is it. We're at the end of the message. This is just a little bit of application. Hallelujah. We're fixing to get up and go celebrate my brother's birthday up here with some cake or whoever wants to eat some. Why are we doing that? Because we are a family. And we're in the presence of the Lord. And while we may be dysfunctional in a few ways, that we are still family united together by the blood of Jesus Christ that we have been placed in a place of royal priest and just understand Jesus saved you and now he says I got you you don't have to be a picture of what's going on in your life anymore and today as we worship maybe that's what you got to reflect on is that I am not a product of my past I am not a product of what's going on presently I have been bought by the blood of Jesus Christ. And next week, that's what we're going to be talking about. That Jesus did climb up on that cross. He did go to that grave. But hallelujah, he ain't dead today. He came back to life. He defeated death. He defeated sin. He defeated hell. And he did it for us. So here's three things that we can do this week in preparation of this coming Easter Sunday. Do this with me. That we can pray a prayer. This could be our united prayer this week. That this week we pray that we would see as the church unitedly in unity see Jesus more than our earthly providers. Can we pray a prayer this week that we see our Father in heaven, that we see the Jesus Christ, we see the Holy Spirit, that we can see Him more abundantly and greater than we see our jobs or the things around us or our struggles? Can we let Him be the biggest thing in our lives this coming week? Number two is that for we as the church to be kingdom-minded instead of earthly-minded. What does that mean? I'm just going to take one little minute to define that. When we're kingdom-minded, it becomes more about broken, the broken world and less about us. When we're earthly minded, we, we, we go around scurrying every day trying to pick up enough stuff because we don't think we're going to have enough. Kind of like the story of the manna in the Old Testament, right? That they would, they would gather up more than what they needed for the day and it would end up rotting the next day. To be kingdom minded means that God, I trust you in this moment. I don't understand it. I don't know why I'm going through this. But I'm going to trust you. I'm going to be kingdom-minded. That means I'm going to put my thoughts on what is forever versus putting my thoughts on what is now. Pray a prayer that God would give us the ability to be kingdom-minded instead of earthly-minded. And the last one is, and this is a big one because this goes right on with the Great Commission. Pray for who we can share this truth with. 
there is somebody in your circle. We live in the South, people. There is somebody in your circle that has been hearing the name of Jesus their entire life, but they do not know him. It's like my friend Greg says, if you walked up to Michael Jordan, you say, I know you. Would Michael know you? Because we can spend our lives saying, I know Jesus, I know Jesus, I know. But I want to ask, you look around and you say, God, show me the people that may be saying your name their entire life, but you don't know them. They've not had an encounter with you. Their lives have not been transformed and messed up and radically transformed and changed because of the Spirit of God. Pray for that one person that you can share that with this week and bring them to service this coming Sunday. Y'all know half our church on vacation this week. They come back next week. Y'all better get here early if you want to see. <laughs> the prayers of a pastor. <laughs> But like I said, I'll say it again this week. If it takes you going to a different church to get them in front of the gospel being clearly communicated and preached, go there. You do what you have to do to help that person understand that Jesus loved them, okay? i love for them to come here. I'd love to see this church grow and get really big and full of people. But it doesn't supersede the kingdom getting big and full of people, amen? Let's pray, and then let's just worship, and we'll break up. Father God, Lord, we thank you for your love and your grace. We thank you for what you're doing. Oh, Holy Spirit, speak to our hearts right now out of the words that we have um, got to go to today through your word. Lord, we, we just ask that you would make it clear to us. Every person in this room, Lord, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would speak to individually. I pray, Lord God, that you would just be um, patient with us when we, we stumble and mess it all up. And we thank you for that patience, Lord. But God, there's never a time like right now that we can radically live for you and say, Father God, use me. Whatever you need me to do, however you need me to sit still and listen to you or whoever you need me to talk to, I just want to be with you. And that's my prayer, Father. I just want to be with you. I just want to hear your voice and feel your presence in my life. And I pray that over our church today, Lord, that they would hear your voice, feel your presence in their life like never before. It's in Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen.